Well, for a holiday weekend, there is an incredible spirit and energy in this room. It's just so wonderful and welcoming. I want to call you back. Uh, before, uh, before Troy comes up to deliver the message today, he asked especially for this song. This song comes from uh, the text, our teaching text today, Psalm 23, that we read a little bit. So I want to invite you back to your seats, and we're just going to sing this song over you. Let these words soak in as we prepare our hearts for uh, the message today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Thanks, friends. Well, the Lord be with you. Uh, good morning. My name is Troy. Happy to be uh, one of the pastors here at Marseille. Happy pumpkin spice season, everyone. I'm with you, Jordan. No. Not a thing. Pumpkin spice is not a thing. Um, I want to begin today with a little bit more crowd participation. So, here's what I'd like to do. By the way, if uh, you have some young folks with you today, or you're just simply young at heart, and you want to know how much longer is that guy going to talk, um, we just have to get to the bottom of that little table of contents in the corner, okay? That's it. 
you're going to know how quickly we're getting there. It's going to slowly, well, not slowly, somewhat quickly move to the end. Okay, there you go. Um, So take a moment today. Think about someone you admire. Okay? Someone that you know personally, maybe. This may be a famous person. It might be someone who's very particular to your life. Someone that you might admire from afar. Think about somebody that you admire. Everybody got someone in your head? Great. Now, think about a word or two that would describe that person. How would you describe this person that you think is admirable? A couple of words, a couple of phrases. How would you describe that person? You got it? Great. Shout out a couple of attributes for me. What are some attributes of people that you admire? Curious. Is what I heard. Generous. I heard generous. Okay, how about over here? Loyal. Tall. That stinks for many of us. I, at first I thought it was bald, but I was convinced that wasn't it. Um, what else? My, integrity. Very good. Hardworking. Humble. Nice. I heard that. Thank you. Passionate. Curious. Huh? Elegant. Thank you very much. Oh. Oh, you mean about the other person. Anyone else over here? Funny. Funny. All right. Just thank you very much, everyone. Just curious. How many of you had the word needy in that list? Honestly, did any of you think, as it relates to an admirable person, neediness is one of those qualities I really look for and like? Anybody? No? Hold on to that for a second. As you know, by this point, probably, we're going to talk about Psalm 23 today. One of the most cherished bits of the Bible. Um, it received the most votes from our community. A couple months ago, we, had, we polled the church and said, what psalms would you like us to cover in a teaching over this summer series? Psalm 23 and Psalm 46 both got the same number of votes. So we're ending our series today with the uh, leading vote-getter, Psalm 23. And... Uh, Uh, This psalm, it's one of those uh, most known spots probably in Scripture. It shows up in a lot of places, even outside of the church. Wider culture. I think about Coolio, Kanye, Tupac. They all sang it. Um, Thank you, Denise. Um, It shows up in television and film. I remember second season of Lost. One episode was called Psalm 23. One of the key characters there recited all of Psalm 23. Anybody? Nightcrawler recites it in X-Men 2. A priest. I feel as if I'm talking. Is everyone still here? Great. How about this one? A priest recites it at the end of Titanic. Very, okay, great. Somebody's been to the movies. Um, It shows up a lot in the wider culture. Actually, from the very earliest beginnings of the church, Psalm 23 has been cherished and tried to be captured in artwork. Let me give you a couple of pictures, a couple of examples. These are from the catacombs. These were these underground hallways or chambers. And these were places where people would bury their dead. 
Um, and these images, these date back from probably the third century. And particularly in Rome, Naples, Sicily, that part of the Mediterranean world, um, the rock was, and the geography was such that you could bury and dig deep into the ground. And so these catacombs are there, and scattered throughout lots of these catacombs are images of shepherds carrying sheep. So it's been captured, and it's actually been a devotional text. That's partly what we get out of this. In the moments where people are burying their dead, they want to know that there is a shepherd who still cares for the sheep. So even historically, this psalm has been well-loved. And what's not to love, right, about Psalm 23? I mean, how about that shepherd? What a hero. And I'm not trying to be trite about this. Even people who don't claim to believe in the Christian faith, they want the shepherd that's in this psalm to be real. People even outside of the faith, they want this to actually be truth and not just a poem. We'll get to the shepherd in a minute. What I want to do this morning, though, with Psalm 23 is I want to direct your attention to some of what I think is really troubling about Psalm 23. I want to talk for a couple of minutes about an aspect of Psalm 23 that, frankly, I don't like very much. I find the sheep in Psalm 23 annoyingly needy. I think the sheep in Psalm 23 are annoyingly needy. It's like they can't do anything for themselves. Check it out. In Psalm 23, what do we see? We see that the sheep, they need to be led to lie down. They don't lie down by themselves. They have to be led there. They need to be led to green pastures. They need to be led to waters. They need to be restored. They need guidance and courage and comfort. They need a table set before them. They need anointed. They need to be followed by goodness and love. They need a place prepared for them. And who does all that work? The shepherd. It's like the sheep either cannot or will not do any of this for themselves. I find these sheep annoyingly needy. And here's why this bothers me. Because in this psalm, we are the sheep. Now, I know this is David's psalm. But we are invited and encouraged to find ourselves in these words. And I'm sure that the intention was not that we would identify ourselves as the shepherd. More on that in a minute. Friends, you and I in this psalm are the annoyingly needy sheep. And I don't like that. As an adult, I've worked really hard to be self-reliant and strong, and capable, and resourceful, and empowered, and on and on and on. And so when I come to this psalm, and it starts describing the sheep, when it starts describing me as a needy little being who seems to be incapable of doing anything for himself, well, I bristle at that. And I have a really hard time accepting this. Anybody else feel a bit like this? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, implicate yourself. 
A friend of mine uh, recently told me a story about a hiking trip that he took. He took a trip with about seven or eight other people on a hiking trip. And this friend, like me, this friend is an avid indoorsman. Okay? And so what that means is that he didn't have any of the stuff. And the week-long hiking trip was going to be a real stretch for him. So my friend had to go out and from scratch get all the stuff. Bought everything brand new. And he bought way more than he could possibly need for seven days of hiking. All right, And he shows up to the hiking trip. And all of his stuff, big, oversized, overpacked backpack, brand new clothes. And within the first two miles, really badly sprains his ankle. First day first couple miles. One of the other hikers is a doctor, and so the doctor checks him out, diagnoses him, and says, you can continue on this hike, but you won't be able to carry any of your own stuff. So my friend, in his brand new nice clothes, with this enormously overpacked backpack, has to give all of his stuff to all the other people for the rest of the hike. He can keep walking, but he can't carry anything. And all of his stuff has to get spread around and added to the weight that everybody else on the hike is already carrying. And as he was telling me that story, I almost had a panic attack. I'm imagining it, and I said to him, I would rather risk injury Personally, I would rather keep walking, risk injury, carry all of my own stuff than know that other people were carrying my burden. Anybody else feel a bit like this? You have this sort of sense that whatever you can do, to not have to recognize, admit to other people that you have a need. You will do that. This is one of the sneaky ways that our culture is forming us over time. Slowly, slowly, we are systematically taught to cover up neediness to downplay or to distract other people from your need, your limitations, from your weakness. I really love the way that Christina Cleveland so wisely talks about how our culture forms us to think about weakness. She said this, we are allowed to talk about neediness, we're back to that word, neediness, when we are regaling ourselves with tales about how we have triumphed over it. That's when neediness is okay to be talked about. And she goes on, she goes, we love to exchange stories about how we used to be homeless, but now own a home with no mortgage on it. We once were illiterate, but now are a New York Times best-selling author. Used to be alcoholic, but have been sober for 20 years. Once struggled to manage our anger, but now are a celebrated mindfulness teacher. Previously had marital problems, but now it's all good. And then she says, in other words, it's okay to struggle as long as you triumph in the long run. Just please don't tell us about your need in real time. Need is only acceptable in the past tense. 
That is a powerful and seductive cultural script. But Psalm 23 doesn't allow us, it doesn't allow us to gloss over our neediness. It doesn't allow us to ignore it. It doesn't allow us to pretend like it isn't real. This is a tricky bit of scripture to talk about. Anytime a preacher has to talk about a text that is really familiar to people, it's so hard to imagine what new could you possibly offer? What else could be talked about in Psalm 23? It's a tricky bit. So here's what I'm going to do today for my next couple of minutes. I'm going to simply offer you three encouragements. And I'm going to offer these humbly because I have a sense these three encouragements are for me. I had a sense this past week that God, through the Holy Spirit, was saying, Troy, there, is, there are a couple of things for you in this text that I think you need to pay attention to. So in many ways, I'm preaching this sermon to myself, but I'm offering a couple of encouragements to you from one needy sheep to a room full of other needy sheep. So encouragement one is this. Just stay needy. Now, I know that right off the bat, this might come across as me trying, sounding like I'm encouraging you to stop trying. <laughs> to like, to just give up. Just remain incapable. That's not what I'm saying. Please grow, mature. Please improve by all means, flourish and thrive. And yet, I want to encourage you to regularly ask something like this. Are you trying harder to eliminate your neediness than you are seeking the one who meets and supplies all of your needs? Are you trying harder to eliminate your need than you are seeking after the one in whom there is all the riches the one who can meet and supply all of your needs. The good news is not only does your shepherd meet your needs, your shepherd meets you in your needs. The middle of Psalm 23 both poetically, but also physically, right in the dead center of the psalm, right in the middle, verse 4, is this phrase. You are with me. It's the hinge point of Psalm 23. That is the apex of the psalm. The shepherd doesn't just meet your needs, the shepherd meets you in your needs. David here writes because he is confident that not only will his needs be met, but that the shepherd will be present in the middle of David being needy. That's good news. Fast forward to the New Testament. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he writes this logically upside down statement that doesn't make any sense. He says this, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So in the Bible, God's power and God's presence are linked together. 
They come together. So here Paul is saying, I'm going to embrace my weakness. I'm going to embrace my neediness because I am confident that in Christ, God will be present in power with me. In Christ, God will be present in power with me in the midst of my weakness. So friends, stay needy. Seek the one who can meet you in your neediness. Seek the one whose power is made perfect in your weakness. Which brings me to encouragement too. You cannot be your own shepherd. Actually, now that I think about it, that's not very encouraging, is it? That's not an encouragement at all. But it's true nonetheless. Psalm 23 forces us to face this. In the very first verse, when David sings, the Lord is my shepherd, we are confronted with the question, well, who is my shepherd? Who's my shepherd? Who guides and directs my life? Who is leading me to spaces of rest and refreshment? Who is with me in the darkest valleys? Who's with me in the moments of darkest moments of my life? Who is feeding my soul? Who is offering me abundance and goodness? Who is my shepherd? And I'm guessing that if we are seriously interrogating who shepherds our lives, each one of us will have to admit that there is no one thing, no one person who could ever do all that we need. And so what we do is we cobble together a kind of Frankenstein shepherd out of a bunch of people, a bunch of things, a bunch of ideologies, and a bunch of beliefs. And then over time, that Frankenstein shepherd gets more and more beastly. And then over time, that shepherd reliably will let you down, will regularly fall short and fail you. And so most of us will ultimately come to rely on our own selves to do the job of shepherding. We'll rely on our intellect and resourcefulness or social media influence or networking abilities or communication skills or holy stubbornness or wisdom or whatever ends up working for you until it doesn't work. Because being your own shepherd will always lead to you needing and wanting more. Always. David can say in the opening verse of Psalm 23, I lack nothing because he isn't seeking to wrestle control of his life from the shepherd. David has learned over time that he cannot be the shepherd of his own life, and so he has surrendered control to God. Friends and family, I am urging you, seriously investigate the areas of your life that you have yet to surrender to the shepherd. Seriously investigate the areas of your life that you are trying to shepherd on your own. 
the areas that you are allowing other people, other things, your own self to be in control of. Surrender to the shepherd, the only shepherd who can actually lead you to what is promised. And that brings me to encouragement three. Dwell in the house of the Lord now. Psalm 23, it crescendos, right, to this wonderful ending that fills us with a lot of hope. Surely, goodness and love will follow me. This word follow, by the way, is not, this is not like a stalker lurking in the shadows follow. This is a military word. This is a word of pursuit. This is a word of breathing down your neck. Sometimes we sing that song where it says like, uh, uh, your goodness is running after me. That's the spirit in the sense of this. Goodness and love pursuing you all of the days of your life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For most of us, the closing here of Psalm 23, it's this promise that we know will one day, some far off day in the future, it's going to be realized. I want to close today, I hope this is encouraging to you to know that the promise that is offered here at the end of Psalm 23 is available right now. And I want to do that. I want to draw your attention to one verse in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Now, this verse shows up in a really deep um, theological section of Colossians. And so, uh, I'm not going to unpack all of this. I'm just going to allow this one verse to sit on its own. And the verse is verse 9. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. It says this, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Okay, this is one of those foundational theological concepts. Notice the language that Paul is incorporating here as he's trying to describe and to sum up this mysterious truth. He says, in Christ, the fullness of the deity, which is who is God, the fullness of God lives in a bodily form. In Christ, the fullness of God lives in bodily form. Said another way, um, the entirety of God lives in Jesus' human body. All of God resides in the human person of Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? You might say, Jesus is the house of the Lord. Jesus is the house of the Lord. In and through Jesus, the fullness of God was realized and was made known to all of humanity. So when Jesus in John chapter 15 encourages us to remain in him, when Jesus says, abide in me, when Jesus says, dwell in me, what Jesus is encouraging and inviting right there is ultimate intimacy with God. Jesus is inviting us to cohabitate with God in his very self. Live with God in me. Dwell in me. I am the house of the Lord. Any, you all right? Like, 
this, I'm not saying that the end of Psalm 23 isn't talking about the future. It probably is as well. But there is an invitation for us that is much more immediate. Jesus, in the person of Jesus, is this wonderful, profound invitation to dwell right now. I think we find an echo still in John 15. So after Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me, he says, because apart from me, you can do nothing. I think this is an echo of Psalm 23. Remember in Psalm 23, David says that he lacks nothing because God is the shepherd of his life. And in John 15, Jesus is saying, unless you remain in me, unless you abide in me, unless you dwell in the house of the Lord now, you, you can't do, you can do nothing. Dwell in the house of the Lord now and you will lack nothing. Psalm 23, it doesn't pretend that evil and darkness and enemies don't exist. They're on display throughout Psalm 23. This is not just some um, uh, sepia-toned psalm that we have here. Those realities are really on display here. And yet, we can take comfort now because the invitation has been given to us to dwell in the house of the Lord. That invitation is on offer now. You need not wait for some far off day. Stay needy. Know that you cannot be your own shepherd and dwell in the house of the Lord now. In John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. That Jesus is the good shepherd who watches over all the sheep. And Jesus is also the host who continues to set a table before us every single week. We'll get to this in just a minute. And Jesus is also the one in whom we are encouraged to dwell, to dwell now, to abide in, to remain in. And we do all of that confident that goodness and love will pursue us all of the days of our life, that fear will be driven away, that rest is offered to all who are weary and heavy burdened, that there is a crown of glory that never fades away. Unlike the anointing that happens in this text, there is a crown of glory that will never fade in Christ. All of this realized in and through the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ. To him be glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen.